0: in our church, I did teach and exhort along the lines of, you know, guys, you need, you need to get here, you need to get to church. And I often used what I call now the analogy or the metaphor of the tea kettle. And I would say, you know, how can you tell when the water is boiling with the tea kettle? And they would say, you know, because it whistles, shh, you know, and how long does it take when you remove the tea kettle from the fire for the whistling to stop, and people would say, "Well, immediately," and I would say that our Christian life yeah. is like that—that that our that our fellowship is like that fire that ke- keeps us uh, keeps mm-hmm. us boiling for Jesus, you know. Mm-hmm. And and if you remove yourself from that, you're you're going to stop whistling, you know. It's it, you co- you cool off really fast.
1: Welcome to another unpainted episode of on the journey with matt and ken and kenny i can't do it i can't do it
2: yeah just go ahead nathan arizona <laughs>
1: sorry we were talking about nathan arizona another before the show but thank you for joining us on on the journey with matt and ken and kenny i'm matt Swame along with my colleagues ken hensley a former baptist pastor kenny Burchard, a former foursquare pastor i was well I don't know. I logged a lot of time behind the registers of family Christian stores over the years um, and played in some bands. If you appreciate what you're hearing here on On the Journey, we encourage you to go uh, view some previous episodes at chnetwork.org. We also have an online community where you can uh, interact with others who are asking these same kind of questions and walking alongside one another. That's community.chnetwork.org. And we are coming up. Uh, on the end of the year, I'll uh, tell you more about that and uh, why that's such a big deal in terms of our support. But if you want to support us, uh, go to chnetwork.org/donate. We would greatly appreciate it. So, Ken Kenny, how are you?
0: Good, Doing great. I'm great. <laughs> I'm ready I got, for another I got unpainted my, episode? Yeah. Me you too. Are, and I got, my, I got my Bible museum. Museum uh, of the Bible. Um, museum of the Bible.
1: I was about to museum say, of uh, both of you are for this today. episode named Kenneth Arizona. That's, that's what it's going to be. But um, <laughs> we're continuing right. our series on the Mass and, and what is actually happening mm-hmm. in the Mass. Now, uh, it was important- in all the places we went to, it was more important for you guys to go to church than it was for me because if you guys didn't go to church, then, well, there was no sermon. There was no none of that, right, because you guys were the pastors. It, but it was important right. for all of us as Christians in our previous cre- uh, Christian traditions uh, to go to church. But we've been talking mm-hmm. a little bit about what we believed it was that we were doing there um, when we had come mm-hmm. to Sunday worship. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was playing in bands, uh, in indie rock Christian bands, people were like, you guys should do some worships. Uh, music in your sets, and and I had two objections to that. One of them was, well, first of all, that's not the kind of band we are, and second of all, I was kind of in a crisis of, I wasn't sure exactly what worship was um, because of some of the stuff I've been yeah. reading and thinking about. So, let's start with a little bit um, of recap of where we came from, and then when we're where where we're going in this uh, particular episode.
0: Yeah, I think that that um reflection on how we thought about worship is a, a really good place to start it sort of is where we began this series last week and when we when we first began this discussion we all agreed uh guys that we thought differently about worship as non-catholics than we now think about it as catholics even though even though we still use that word worship was part of our our lives all of us agreed that we didn't have an appreciation for uh, what's really happening happening in liturgical forms of of worship. And we all agreed that we had both misgivings and misunderstandings specifically about what was happening at the Catholic Mass. Mm-hmm. And in the first episode, in order to sort of put handles on what's happening at the Catholic Mass, we looked at four words together. Uh, just by way of review, we looked at the word mass— which doesn't mean a big gaggle of people, but it really means Misa, sending, to send out. So the Mass, we discovered, is this great missionary calling, forming, and sending event that takes place as a liturgy, and that word we understand to mean as the work of God's people. The Mass takes place as a liturgy, that is the work of God's people, Through a series of rites, and uh, that's not a dirty word, a bad word, rite or ritual is a great word. And what we did with that word is said, think of it as a participatory, dramatic event in which God and his people are acting together to carry out something. And God's own participation in that entire event. Um uh, we understood to take place through sacraments. That's where uh, heaven and earth come to overlap. Uh, nature and grace come together. God and his people meet and become present to each other through these sacred actions, these sacraments. And in the Mass— Ordinary things, like ordinary people, (laughs) ordinary bread, ordinary wine, the ordinary is transformed into that which is extraordinary. Extraordinary. And then last week, we ended with a little bit of church history. I'll let Ken take it from there.
2: Yeah, last week, good recap, by the way. Thanks, Kenny. Last week, we took our trip in uh, what we referred to, I think, as an ecclesial time machine, That is, right right at the end of the episode, we went back in time to the middle of the second century, so we're talking about the mid-100s, and we went to church, as it were, with Justin Martyr, St. Justin Martyr. In, In his first Apology, a book written around 150 AD, something like that, Justin describes for us in some detail what worship looked like in the early decades of Christian history, and... All I can say, and we're all in agreement though, all I can say is that it looked an awful lot like what we find in the liturgy that the three of us now celebrate every Sunday that we call, we refer to as the ordinary form of the Roman Rite. Um, that's just Catholic language for the typical way in which we do church now in the Roman Catholic world in, the, in this year. Okay, we also agreed that our church services as Baptists, Pentecostals and Wesleyans looked a whole lot different than what is described in this ancient Christian source.
0: So, just you know, tying into your GPS language, Matt, um, <laughs> uh, we we went back in time to our own lives to the early church, and now where we're headed in our GPS today um, is we're going to dive deeper into this question of what it now means to us to go to church All as right. Catholics, and this is such uh, an, what an, we. What's happening when we go to church?
1: Yeah, an important question because <laughs> um, I I would have thought that was a really dumb question to to even engage. <laughs> back in my day, you go to church because mm. you're supposed to go to church, right? Right. Uh, but right. there are scriptural reasons for this. And I think this is an important um, opportunity for us to go back and think like when we were in that space, if someone had asked that question mm-hmm. of us or, or if someone had said to you, Pastor Ken, Pastor Kenny, Why do I have to go to church? Why can't I just, you know, sit on the mountainside and, uh, you know, give thanks to God for the great gift of the sunrise or enjoy his presence on a lovely, you know, cultivated golf course? (laughs) Like what, why would you have said, no, man, you got to be at church? Like what would have been your, your criteria for saying that's where you got to be, be at my Baptist church on a Sunday?
2: Well, first, you mm. can sit on a mountainside, and you can thank God for the sunset. That's a wonderful thing to do. I like to sit on the beach yep. out here in Southern California, look out at that water, and think the same thing. Okay, but in, in terms of <laughs> why why did we go to church, it's kind of a funny question that strikes me um, immediately, because obviously, you know, we did it because that's what you do. That's what everybody did. The, the, you know, the moment I became a Christian, I went to church, and I saw people doing it, and so you just do what you are taught to do. But if I ask the question, why, or what did we think about it, something like that, if if I look at it more deeply, well, we gathered together because we believed that it was good for us to do it, and it was right for us to do it. Uh, The the passage that came to my mind immediately is Hebrews 10, 25, where the author commands us, quote, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So there's this commandment, um, assembling together is something Christians should do something we ought to do, um, but why? And I guess I would have said, uh, because it's good for us. It's good for us to come together, to fellowship together, um, to pray together, to sing praise to God together, to learn together, to be inspired by God's word, by the singing, the prayers, by one another's example, and to remember who we are as believers in Christ and what our mission is well, as well as to to welcome those who might stumble in through the doors looking for a a home. But for all those reasons, it was right to get together, and it was good to get together. I think I would have added just one more thing. I would have added that we need to be under authority as Christians. Um, We need to be under the authority of leadership that can help keep us accountable for our Christian walk. Um, I knew believers then, and I know believers now that are just completely on their own. I mean, it's literally cut off from the community and on their own. They read their Bibles mm-hmm. on their own. They decide what it teaches on their own. And I yeah. suppose they just discipline themselves. But living without any accountability is a risky thing. It, it's a vulner- yeah. It's a vulnerability to be in that place as a Christian. It's not what we see in the New Testament where the church is described as this great body um, all with its gifts, all completing one another's members. But you go ahead, Kenny, or Matt, you have something to say, throw it in.
1: Yeah, so I find it so interesting that that's one of the reasons that you would say it was necessary to go to church, is because you need authority, accountability, you need brothers and sisters in Christ to be mm-hmm. able to call you on your business when you're acting out of line as a Christian. Because there was another verse, you mentioned Hebrews 10, right? Don't get yeah. uh, out of the habit of assembling. Um, I used a verse from this passage, but uh, when you— state that case of of the accountability being an important part of why you go to church, Mm -hmm. it gives a whole different kind of meaning to a verse I used to take out of context that I used as a reason that we went to church. So this is from Matthew chapter 18. It says this about accountability. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've won him over. If he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you so that everything may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church, so on and so forth. Um, Then treat him as a Gentile or a tax collector, if that doesn't work. Uh, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, so on and so forth. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst also. So... We always use that two or three gathered in my name verse as a way of saying we should always be with each other because when we're together, you know, the Lord's in our midst. And it doesn't matter how small, even if there's only two of us, right? Mm -hmm. It's a small group. We're there. But the Mm -hmm. context of that is what? It's accountability, right? It's accountability. We would have always cited it as saying we're two or three together. Like, you know, we got a prayer meeting going, right? Um but in the context, it really points to what you were illustrating, Ken, about you're not just gathering because there's power in numbers. You're gathering because there's a sense in which we got to stay on each other mm-hmm. and spur each other on to be better Christians. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah.
0: I think I resonate with everything that both of you just said there, guys. And, and I, in our church, I did teach and exhort Along the lines of, you know, guys, you need, you need to get here. You need to get to church. And I often used what I call now the analogy or the metaphor of the tea kettle. And I would say, you know, how can you tell when the water is boiling with the tea kettle? And they would say, you know, because it whistles, shh, you know, and how long does it take when you remove the tea kettle from the fire for the whistling to stop? And people would say, well, immediately. And I would say, that our Christian life yeah. is like that. That our that our fellowship is like that fire that ke- keeps us uh, mm-hmm. keeps us boiling for Jesus. You know, mm-hmm. and and if you remove yourself from that, you're you're going to stop whistling. You know, it's it, you co- you cool off really fast when right. you get out of fellowship. Um, But I also stressed, you know, the fact that spiritual growth happens in community because that's the way God set it up. All these images of body life and spiritual gifts and growth happening as we comprehend with all the saints, what is the height mm-hmm. and the depth and the breadth of the love of God. All the texts in the New Testament that talk about when you come together Uh, I wanted our people to have relationships with each other, to be encouraged, inspired to grow. I read in scripture how they devoted themselves, you know, to all these things in Acts two. And guys, I would still like, if I was talking to a Catholic about why you should go to church, I would still say all of those things. I would still say everything you said, Ken, I would say everything you said, Matt, I would say everything I would, uh, share, but now I would say more. More
2: than that. Yep.
0: Yeah,
1: I would absolutely say more than that. And uh, that can be a little bit of a confusing point to people coming at the Mass from the outside, especially, um, and I think I mentioned this mm-hmm. uh, when I was sharing my testimony mm-hmm. over the course of a few episodes, that uh, initially as a Christian, I didn't notice that there were theological differences from congregation to congregation. I thought you went where the music spoke to you the most or the preaching spoke to you the most. I didn't think there was right. any substantial theological difference from place to place, Um there, I didn't think that what anybody was doing from congregation to congregation mm-hmm. had any substantial difference to it um, until I got a little bit older and started to kind of read more deeply into the tradition. So uh, when we're talking about the Mass, though, it's not just like a different style of everything that everybody else is doing in all these other spaces. So what's a good way to start to understand right. how the Mass is fundamentally like ontologically different than those other kinds of yeah. things that are happening in those other kind of congregations.
0: Yeah, you're right. It isn't just a different style or, you know, we don't just lay things out differently cuz Catholics have this weird way of, you know, awkwardly jamming things together in their worship service. <laughs> On the surface, I will admit when I first started going to mass, I detected the difference at a surface level. Like, why are they putting the songs here and the preaching here in communion, I didn't understand the order. And I initially confused that as just a structural thing. I couldn't put my finger exactly on what the difference was beyond that. But then as I started going to Mass, guys, I I wanted to get deeper into what the difference was. And so I began reading books on sacramental theology and and liturgical forms of worship. And that's where I realized that in my particular tradition and many of the evangelical circles that I ran in, what was missing from our gatherings was a sacramental theology, and sacraments themselves were missing. So on one hand, I, I, I lacked a sacramental theology, and on the other hand, we lacked valid sacraments so that even if let's say i was pastor kenny and i was you know learning sacramental theology and i said oh i really believe in this stuff that, that that these things are possible theologically there was no way because we didn't have valid um ordination in, in the sense of apostolic succession there was no way for me to make those sacraments real or for or, or for those sacraments to be made real in our gatherings. They just couldn't happen in our previous experience. And so I discovered in this learning process that the connection between the sacraments and worship and what can and does happen at Mass are are all related to each other. And so, you know, like even even I, I tell people now, the Mass, guys, is not properly or fundamentally understood as a church service in the same way that I would have used that terminology as a Protestant. There were because there were places we couldn't go and things we couldn't do mm-hmm. in that previous context.
2: You know, when you ask that question, Kenny, or when you—I have to think about it. Yes, there's a stark difference, and the difference is obviously what is at the heart of the mass, which is the, the Eucharistic sacrifice. Mm-hmm. conceived as the real presence of Jesus Christ. Made, uh, Jesus made present body, blood, soul, and divinity for us, for our nourishment. Uh, so a, a couple of ways that come to my mind, it would be that I guess in my Baptist service, when I think back, it was more like we went to church to act, um, to sing mm-hmm. together, to pray together, mm-hmm. to study together, to learn together, to fellowship together, and when I think of the mass now, it's like we go there for God to act um, for, right. we, we do all those same things. We act. I mean, liturgy means the work is the work of God's people. We do those yep. things, but, but in a new, unique way in the mass, it's centered around God's action rather than us. Yes, It's God's action yes. of feeding us Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. In other words, and I'm not sure if this works exactly, but there's kind of an objectivity to Catholic worship. Um, Meaning that something objective is happening there, that God is doing there and doing for us, that didn't exist in my uh, my worship service um, at the Baptist Church. Um, mm-hmm. In other words, or, or another way of saying it is, every everything that we did in our worship service as Baptists, uh, you could do anywhere. You know, again, if you get right. two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst. You can do all these <laughs> things anywhere. Uh, you know, at your campsite, at home, in the backyard, wherever um but the center of the mass the thing that everything else revolves around is something that you have to go to church to get or you have to go where right. a priest is there with an altar and is and, and is celebrating this and so the focus isn't again i'm kind of stumbling along to say this but the focus is not so much subjective on what i am feeling or what I am doing? Am I really worshiping from my heart? Am I feeling? Mm-hmm. It's it, it, it's objective. It's about something that is going to happen there. Something I need. It's um. Let me use a a poor analogy. Okay, I'm working on a cabinet out back or something. I need a hammer. Okay, I need a hammer. Now I can't just churn up the feeling of hammerness or anything like that. I I, I can't. I have to go to the hardware store and I have to get one. And you know. It's great if I re- feel really good when I'm walking into the hardware store. It's great. <laughs> it's better than feeling sick or feeling terrible. Um, it's great if the employees at the hardware store jump up to greet me at the door and welcome me, and I have really happy feelings while I'm there. It's great if the music they're playing in the background is something that I like and not the kind of music that Matt used to like. Um, it's, all these things are great, but the bottom line is there's something objective. I need a hammer. I'm going there to get a hammer. And I I kind of think of that in a way when I look at Mass. And I look at, for instance, I go to morning Mass every day, and you see workers there who have got to get to work, but they still want to come and receive Christ. And so they're there. Who knows what they're feeling? Who knows if their heart, you know, I can tell you this, their arms are not up in the air. They're not like swaying or anything like that. But they're there. And when it's time to receive communion, they get up. they uh, They may be wearing their uniform, you know, construction uniform for the day. They get up, and they go forward, and they receive Christ, and then they go out, and if they have to leave right away, they leave right away, and they get back to work. So that's kind of the one of the main ways in which I can see it, is it's my actions versus God's action, and the objectivity mm-hmm. of what's happening because of the Eucharist.
1: Yeah, a couple things just to add to that. First of all, the jams what about that I jammed, music? I jammed outside <laughs> of the context of Sunday morning. So, I was always a Charles Wesley guy when it came to Sunday morning. Oh, real Okay. None of this contemporary service stuff. I go to the early service, not the 11 o'clock or whatever.
2: All right, Just all to be right.
1: clear, I worshipped with the old people. Secondly, um, you mentioned, Ken, that... Um, the Mass is not something that you can do just anywhere. Well, sort of you can, right? Masses have been celebrated on battlefields and on boats, and yeah. I've been to Mass in just about it. I've been on campsites, all that stuff. But Mass cannot be celebrated with just any body, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this mm-hmm, is, right I think, now. an important point, too, because there's a fundamental difference between what it was that you were trying to accomplish at church, but there's also a fundamental difference in how you understood yourself as the person leading that situation. So let me just ask you with like yeah. either a quick yes or no answer. Ken, did you feel called to be a pastor? Yes. Do you feel called to be a priest? No. Kenny, feel called to be a pastor? Same.
0: Same. Yeah, you didn't feel <laughs> yes, called to no. be a priest,
1: right? Because a pastor right. teaches and instructs and edifies and mm-hmm. is getting people to learn about the faith, right? Mm-hmm. A priest is doing something on a whole other level. A priest may or may not be good right. at any of those things that you guys are really good at, but a priest's primary role is to offer the one sacrifice at the mass right that connects to the one sacrifice of Calvary mm-hmm. not to um mm-hmm. you know redo that sacrifice but to represent it as we've been talking so so that's a that's a big part of it too um but that objective aspect uh that I want to just touch on briefly before we move on so You would have both said, right, if the if there was this powerful service where people were really brought to a spirit of repentance, you wouldn't have said, well, that's because I'm good at my job, right? You would have said in those moments, right, that this is the action of God here. This is something that comes from outside and beyond me. But you would have also said that it was really good on the third Sunday of October. It wasn't necessarily as good on the Second Sunday of November, you know, it would come an ebb ebb and flow. Um, The mass is something different, right? Jesus isn't more present on one Sunday in the Eucharist Mm -hmm. than he was two Sundays Mm -hmm. previous, right? There's this sense in in which that reality is there as kin, like you're saying, whether people are dialed in and stay in to pray an hour afterwards or whether they got to rush off to work whether you're paying attention, uh, and, and, you know, locked and loaded, or whether you're back in the cry room with your kid because they can't sit still, right? Mm -hmm. There's an, the Christ is going to become present on the altar when the priest prays that prayer. So I think that's kind of an important thing to, to sort of throw in the mix here. And I won't go on any further, uh, Mm -hmm. on that. Um, other than to say, let's, let's get into what the mass actually, like what actually happens at the mass?
0: Yes. Yes. It's, uh, it's important to walk then through the mass, and, uh, and this, maybe this could be helpful if if somebody's watching here who's like us, like you're like me. Four and a half years ago, you went to a Catholic church and you were trying to figure it out. And I had people that helped me with that. Uh, or maybe you're a Catholic who's watching and you've been going to mass your whole life and you're not exactly sure what you're doing. You got it all memorized, but what's ha- what's the objective reality that's taking place? Through this Mass and this liturgy and these rites and these sacraments. So, what we want to do today, guys, uh, and, and really in every episode in this series, is see the mass as in one way as mirroring the entire biblical story of salvation history. That the mass itself is is telling that story over and over and over again uh in in specific ways and so when we start talking about the mass we also need to start talking about how the biblical story begins because they begin at exactly the same place or and in exactly the same way starting at the beginning of the biblical story and the biblical uh and the mass uh, we begin the mass with the introductory rites that's the language that's used for the first part of the Mass, just as uh, the, the Bible begins with this introductory idea of creation. Now, as we look at how these two overlap, the biblical story and the Mass itself telling the same story, we need one more word. Remember, we're doing vocabulary in all of these discussions. Well, the word we need today in order to move through the introductory rites and what's happening at Mass is... An old word, a Greek word, eklesia. Now, in some languages, that's just transliterated right into their language, iglesia, for instance, in, in Spanish, and it's the word church. And the word comes from two words being put together, ekkaleo, uh, out of called, or the called out of. That's what the, the words really kind of look like on paper. Out called, <laughs> Ecclesia Church, mm-hmm. and what this word means and what it what it connotes is that there is a people, an entire people. Think of a community that have been called away. Imagine a city. Everybody's doing their their thing, and they hear a bell ring. It's it's a call, a certain signal, and they all drop their you know their. Baked goods and their rakes and their knives and their, you know, whatever they're doing, their laundry, and they go to the town center because there's something that all of them have a responsibility to hear and to see and to do. They are being called out of whatever they were doing to something that they are to focus on together. And, and this is a word that's used outside of scripture. It's the word that Jesus used when he said, what he's building, I will build my church, my ecclesia, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So at the beginning of the Mass, well, really, even before the Mass begins, church is happening, if you will, when I feel like I need to go to church. I'm being called out of what I'm doing to this thing that God is doing. And I have a sacred duty to go and respond to that call because I'm part of this assembly, this called and gathered people. Okay so with that word there now with all these other words that we that we have in our uh, growing dictionary <laughs> and lexicon let's look at the introductory rites today guys remember the mass is this this dramatic representation of salvation history the biblical story so the part of the biblical story that's being told at the beginning of the mass is the first part of the story of scripture in which creation Which is featured as being from chaos and darkness to light and order, uh, that happens at the beginning of the story. Then the fall of humanity happens at the beginning of the story. And then a promise of salvation from the curse of sin uh, happens at the beginning of the story. Well, all of those things are found in the introductory rites of the Mass. Um, But guys, remember what I said, the Mass actually starts before I go to Mass, because of this calling uh, and and gathering that happens. So when I leave home, when I leave my house, what's happening here? Well, God is calling me. Uh, I start acting different. I start ordering my life to this other thing that I need to participate in. I begin to answer the call of God. God. I'm leaving one thing and going to another thing. And uh, and that parallels between the Mass and the biblical story. We're going from that, which is formless and void and darkness to and chaotic, to that which is light or enlightened and put into order. And so I leave my house. I leave what I was doing all day, and I go to what? God is doing and I gather which is really when when I show up at church I am gathering the same way God gathers everything up and puts it where it goes I'm reconnecting with God's created intentions for us to be the embodiment of his his living presence in the world the body of Christ the gathered church remember is is the remembering we are membering again <laughs> the body of Jesus in the world. And so the mass then becomes just by the virtue of gathering the remembering of the body of Christ in many, many ways. The first way is just when the assembly of God's people show up together, they are responding to being the church. They're called out of their own thing and gathered into God's thing. And then not only do we show up in the parking lot, but we enter into a place of assembly. And when we enter into that place of assembly, a new creation is beginning. Think of this, and, and Ken, I'll ask you to uh, sort sort of help unpack this a little bit. But when we enter into the Mass, we enter into the story the same way the biblical story begins, by water and the Spirit. Remember, the Spirit of God, God hovered over the uh, face of the deep. There was there was wa- this sort of watery thing that happens first, and we enter the mass through water.
2: Yeah, you're talking about the holy water. Uh, the first thing I want to say, Kenny, I, I I have to make a comment or two. The first thing is, when I first heard you say these things, I'm thinking, okay, you're pretty much you're pretty cosmic here. You're getting pretty cosmic <laughs> in your. In your description of these things, and I, I just want to make sure people understand, you're not saying, are you, that when we leave home, we're leaving the chaos that our wives have created in our home, or something <laughs> like that, or our kids, or it whatever. We're leaving this terrible chaos. <laughs> but we are talking about leaving. I, I guess you know the, the agitation, the complexity, the chaotic mm-hmm. life of the uh, of the world to go into a uh, being called out by God to come in and to enter in. To a place, and I can see that. Okay, so you are on the cosmic mm-hmm. edge here. This is a pretty deep way of describing <laughs> just going to church. Most people listening are thinking, "Oh, I just thought I went to church. What? I just thought I got in a car and I went to went to church." To... Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that I was. You know, <laughs> that this was like, "Let there be light," the creation of the world out of chaos. And I'm leaving the, <laughs> this chaotic home, you know, and, and I'm I'm heading down to church. But yes. We enter the church through water. And this is something that is always really from the beginning has meant a a lot to me. Um, It's it's easy for some non-Catholics to think that we're talking about magic when we talk about baptism and when we talk about holy water or whatnot. So I wanted to just simply say, no, uh, holy water, the little holy water fonts. I mean, this is water that has been blessed. This is water that has been consecrated for a particular purpose. It's not magic water, you know. It doesn't have any powers of, of its own. It doesn't do anything. The water doesn't do anything at all. But when we are baptized, I mean, I know there's not a series on baptism, but we're not thinking magically. We're talking. We're thinking sacramentally. That is just right. as just, just as um, I think about when the Lord said to um, said to Naaman the Syrian you want to be cleaned of your leprosy, just go down to the river Jordan and dip seven times. And he goes, he dips, and he comes up clean. It's not because the Jordan River suddenly became magical and the water was magical. It's because God mm-hmm. determined to act in his life through this, uh, this sacramental sign. So we speak of sacraments as being visible signs that convey an invisible grace. And so here's the thing that I think is cool. We do enter the church for the first time in our lives. We enter through baptism. We enter through water when we go down into the water and we come up new life in Christ. But then for the rest of our lives, every single time we enter the Catholic church for mass, we enter through water once again. And and that still means a lot to me to stop, dip your finger into the holy water, cross yourselves, remembering uh, your baptism, remembering your your first path into the church and also mm-hmm. proclaiming, I, I guess the, the message that I am one of Christ. I am one of, uh, that I'm one of the baptized, but, but I, I just want to say that we're not talking magic. We're just talking something that's consecrated. That's why we call it Holy water.
1: Yeah. One thing to mm-hmm. add onto that, um, just a quick distinction between magic and the sacraments. Some people might hear this and say, well, it sounds like you're basically saying the same thing, <laughs> right? Uh, but magic, uh, essentially magic is taking the powers of nature or supernature and bending them Mm -hmm. to your will and trying to harness them so that you can Mm -hmm. have power over them to accomplish some some something you are trying to harness the power of something to bend it to your will sacraments are Mm -hmm. god said this is how he is going to work uh, you know in our world and we are simply obedient to the plan that he laid out right that's Mm -hmm. another major distinction that i think needs to be made here. God told us to do these things. This is not us saying, yes. all right, God, here's the magic spell we're going to do so that we got to, you know, we can bend you to our will. That's not at all what's, what's, what's happening here. Yeah. The other thing is, is that, you know, you mentioned Ken coming out of the chaos to, you know, into the order of the mass. Now I will say this, that the church does ask us to fast before mass for at least an hour before receiving communion. Mm-hmm. So there is much like the earth, uh, a voidness you know, in my stomach before mm-hmm. I go, but there is that. That's that's, that's <laughs> the best I can offer in terms of that imperfect analogy.
2: <laughs> okay, well, Kenny, you know, so it's, it's, m- m- so move us forward. Y- y- yeah. You've got us coming out of chaos, called by God. <laughs> you've got us I- gathering together and mm-hmm. you've got us entering the church through water. Take it away.
0: Right. Yeah. We. So there we are. We're in the gathered assembly of of God's people. We've we've come out of something and into something, and there we are. We're in the church, Uh, not not only the building, but the church itself, the assembly of God. Uh, Now, then another thing happens once we're all assembled. Now, at our church, a bell rings, and these are all Mm -hmm. telegraphing that Something new is happening. Something important is about to happen. So at our church, uh, Father comes in and he rings a bell. We all stand. And the first part of the the Mass in the introductory rites, after everyone is gathered, is a procession and an entrance chant or song. So in our church, um, a cross is set at the beginning of a line of people uh, uh then there are altar servers behind that person typically a deacon holding the book of the gospels over his head and then the last person to come in is the priest and these process forward as all the people sing together and what what's happening here in you know in tandem with the biblical story is that we are Rightly ordering ourselves back to God and back to our vocation as God's priestly people, his image bearing people. And we're also joining in our assembly the heavenly liturgy, the heavenly song that's always happening night and day, day and night. We join also with all creation that never ceases to declare the glory of God. So see, what's happening is we are rightly ordering ourselves back to God's created intentions for us by doing what we were created to do, which is to bring glory to God. So when the Mass starts, we do that. I I was made to praise God. I was made to glorify God. So that's where Mass begins. It's also where creation begins. Things are pronounced good and very good because they bring glory to God. So then at the end of this procession, um, just like at the end of the creation event, everything is where it belongs. The sun is in the day sky, the moon is in the night sky, uh, the birds are in the air, the trees are in the field, the fish are in the water, <laughs> and the man, the human, is standing at the head of creation as God's very presence in the world, as his image mm-hmm. in the world. And so you could pause right there and take a snapshot and say that picture mirrors mm-hmm. what happens at the end of the creation story. But at the then at the very end, in Genesis chapter 2, we we read that on the seventh day God rested, which is kind of temple language, like God came to rest inside of his temple. Well, this happens after the procession when Father, when the priest says— in the name. This is where the Mass, the first words spoken in, in the liturgical action of the Mass are this Trinitarian invocation. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we make the sign of the, of the cross. Well, that's not just religious lingo. That is a, a, a prayer of invocation that is to call into God Himself. We're saying, Everything that happens from this moment forward happens in the name, inside of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, guys, is a direct quote from Matthew 28, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So our Mass begins inside of God himself. We're brought into the Trinitarian life of God through that invocation. And then after we all say, Amen, another verse of Scripture is quoted, almost always in the Mass, and it goes like this, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, the priest says that, and we say, and with your spirit. This is a direct quote from Second Corinthians 13, 14. What we're doing here is we're proclaiming and praying together around what's happening in the gathered assembly, that the grace of Jesus is there, the love of God is there, and we together as God's people have brought in, been brought into a fellowship with the Trinity. All This is, again, not just spouting off religious lingo and prayers. This is telegraphing theologically what is happening to this gathered Group of Christians.
2: Yeah, you know, again, Kenny, the, the what you're describing, you're describing really well, and it's 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 quite profound. And I don't want to add any points to it. I just want to, I, I just want to say that I love these things. I, I've come to love these things. I love coming in. I love crossing with holy water and reminding myself of my baptism. I love the profession. I love the dignity of it, and. Um, uh, I love the fact that it's very dramatic. Uh, you know, my experience, I'll just reflect on this. My experience in a very evangelical, non-denominational kind of environment, even though technically I was a Baptist pastor, but that that, that worship is very often in that world, extremely pastor centered. Uh, you know, when you put it down, I mean, when you get down to the bottom line, it's about this charismatic person Um who is good at telling jokes, who's good at preaching, maybe looks good, has got a good personality, a good way about him, and he's at the center of everything. And often, if the church grows really big, it's because of him. And if the church shrinks and remains small, it's also because of him. It, so it's about, it's pastor centered. And, and that's something that is admitted all the time within the evangelical world. Right. And something I love about the Catholic world is that the priest is virtually anonymous. The priest comes down the aisle following the crucifix, as you said, Jesus Christ leading the way, following the crucifix. He's covered up with these vestments. He wears these vestments that makes him look the same as every other priest. Basically the same thing right. being worn throughout the entire world on that Sunday. Um, he isn't revealing his personal style, you know, his great cl- his style and clothing or his great mannerisms or anything like that. It's all very much scripted in a sense to make him anonymous. The priest is almost interchangeable. So in the Catholic mass, I've heard people say, it's not about the pastor. Um, In the Catholic mass, the way it's structured, it's about the father and the son and the Holy spirit. And you hear that from the very, very beginning. And so that's just Mm -hmm. one of my thoughts as you, as you explain this.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really good. Yeah. There, there
1: there's so many things that could be said about this. I mean, even the fact that when the pastor goes up, you know he goes off to the side, <laughs> right? Um, for uh-huh. for this and you know where you guys might have uh, loosened up the crowd a little bit um, with a hey how's it going you know
2: mm-hmm. yeah
1: a joke or two here and there. The priest is basically he he's just reciting what has been given him from the beginning of the church to recite and right. uh, right. doing exactly what you just said right. and. You know, a couple weeks ago at my parish, we had a guy from Kenya and uh, he spoke perfect English, but he spoke it with a very thick Kenyan accent. And We've only got so good of a sound system Mm -hmm. in our echoey building. And so there were only so many parts that we understood, but we knew where we were. And again, there was a way that we could participate and it didn't matter how good our sound system was that day or how good his Kenyan English translated to... Mid-Atlantic right. English, right? It didn't matter because yeah. he was there to carry forth a sacred trust as opposed to try and win us over mm-hmm. with his personality.
0: Exactly. Yeah, one of uh the the director of religious education at, at our parish, uh who knows that I was a pastor for 20 years, he asked me one day, so so Kenny, how does it feel being part of a church and part of a liturgy? Um, now that's not centered on the charism of the guy who happens to be leading the meeting like what you were doing before. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, good point. Um mm-hmm. and it's true that that um in in a sense we're all you know, our individuality is hidden by all of this and it's brought into what God is making us into in Christ. Yeah. If I could just what add- God is creating. Yeah, one thing to that, I
1: I don't know if you ever had guest speakers from other countries, missionaries come in to to give a talk, but I remember in my evangelical world kind of dreading those on Sunday night services. I'm like, oh no, it's a Mm -hmm. Sunday night service, Mm -hmm. and this person's probably really cool, and they're going to have some good slides, but I'm not going to understand a word of what's going on. Like, now I get super excited when we get people from all over the world come to my parish, right? Because Mm -hmm. it doesn't, there's no pressure for me to understand every single word that comes out of their mouth. And I can go up and talk to them afterwards. And if I didn't hear anything, like I can learn something there. Mm -hmm. But it's the Mass is going to be the same no matter what country this person comes from and no matter whether they know a lick of English, (laughs) right? Or
0: they're just reading from cards. And that goes back to what we're saying here, guys, which is the Mass is telling the biblical story. It's telling Mm -hmm. the biblical Mm -hmm. story. And we are participating in that story with God. God is acting and God's people are acting and we all take our place but now so it's not about us so now in the mass that we kind of left with that snapshot of you know father standing up front in his vestments everybody where they where they belong kind of like how a creation the creation story ends and, and God rests among us in the name of the Father and God's grace and love and fellowship is with us. Okay. So that's where we're at in the biblical story. Isn't that great? And the way the creation, uh, a story ends is God saying everything is very good. Okay. But then what happens in early in the, in the biblical story, the very next chapter after creation is the fall of humanity. Well, guess what? That's where the mass goes next. The Mass, then in the introductory rites, acknowledges that something has happened in the world that is, is bad uh, and that it needs to be dealt with. And so, at in this part of the Mass, right after we're in the name of the Holy Father and the Son and yeah. Holy Spirit, uh, Father then says. Uh, As we prepare to celebrate these sacred mysteries, let us call to mind our sins Sins. and ask God for his pardon and forgiveness. Why? Why do you do that? You Catholics, right at the beginning? Because that's how the beginning of the biblical story unfolds. Something has gone wrong. We've sinned. Mm -hmm. Now, in some masses, there's just this plea, the, the three pleas for mercy and God have mercy and Christ have mercy. But in some, um, in so, some masses, we do the, the whole what's called confitior, the prayer of confession and repentance and prayer of absolution. And it goes like this. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts, in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, and this is where the whole church, heaven and earth, comes together. Therefore I ask the blessed Mary ever virgin, the angels and the saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. And then this is followed by a proclamation of absolution from the priest who says, may almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. And we all say, Amen. Well, what part of the creation story is that? That's the fall. And now we're transitioning into something that happens after the fall and the curse. As remember, humanity falls into a curse at the beginning, but God makes a promise at the end of all this. He says, "I will send one to crush the head of the serpent. He himself will have his his heel uh, bruised, but he'll crush the head of the serpent." This is called the proto evangelium in uh, theological, biblical terms. Well, we mirror that in the Mass as well. How so? Well, we burst into song after the prayer of absolution. We sing the Gloria after this prayer, oh, I've sinned, and and after this plea for God's forgiveness. We sing, and I'm going to read the whole Gloria here. We sing together, or we say together, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory, O Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, the Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world Have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world. Receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Have mercy on us, for you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. And right here, guys, we telegraph through this Bursting into song, where this great dramatic story is headed. it's our corporate proto evangelium, if you will, just as in the biblical story, God promises a, a solution to the problem of sin through the seed of the woman. We at the beginning of the mass announce through the gloria that this is exactly what God has done right after the prayer of confession, repentance, and forgiveness and then. I'll just say this much and we'll have a little dialogue. There's a prayer after the Gloria. It's called, it's this really, really amazing Catholic word, the collect or the collect, depending on how you like to pronounce it. We are, through a prayer, at the end of the Gloria, collected. We are collected together, gathered up in this prayer. And the collects are very short prayers. Here's the, the collect or the collect, from last Sunday, the 30th Sunday of Ordinary Time. It goes like this. Almighty and ever-living God, increase our faith, hope, and charity, and make us love what you command so that we may merit what you promise through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. The way the collect works is we say, God, this is the kind of God you are. God, this is the kind of thing you do. And so, because all that's true, Lord, here at this Mass, be that to us and do that in us. How so? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Now, for anyone who goes to Mass, you know that that's the end of the introductory rites. And so, we have now in the Mass, by way of a rite, this dramatic action of God and his people, through a liturgy, the work of God's people, because of the sacramental overlap between heaven and earth, in the church, the ecclesia, begun this dramatic representation of the story of salvation. We've now together, as the assembly of God in our own location, been reordered to God's created intentions for us. We've acknowledged that we've participated Personally in the fall from our original vocation, we've asked God to restore us through his own saving work and his own action among us and his answer to our prayers has collected us together back into the house of God once again. And so we've now joined that much of the biblical story right in our own local parish, wherever That happens to be. That's what's happened at Mass so far. Yeah, I
1: want to just um, throw this out there to anybody (laughs) who's never been to Mass or paid attention to Mass that everything that Kenny just said takes about four minutes. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Our our 55 minute discussion is the reason I point that out is because.
1: (laughs) The, if you if you've gone to mass your whole life, or if you've never been to mass, and you know that part of mm-hmm. can just like fly right by you if you don't understand what all the pieces are and what's what's being accomplished there. But I mean, you're talking about four mm-hmm. minutes worth of church time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is exactly this is yeah. the intro, right? but
0: it's loaded. It's yeah. loaded with theology. Oh, yeah. you got me loaded with the biblical story.
2: You've got me distracted in a sense because you got me thinking about the book of Genesis and thinking about it in detail. And I really love what you have presented here. When I think about, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void and waters covered the face of the deep. And then God says, let there be light. So here we are coming out of this chaotic, and my home is not chaotic. My home is in tip-top <laughs> shape at all times. But the, this chaotic world, we're being called in to God, and we come through water. Waters covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and brings forth life. And God says, "Let there be light." And that, that then here we are inside the church now, and the procession is taking place, and I see God creating all everything and putting it all into proper order. With man and woman created in the image and likeness of God, uh, you know. God's, you know, uh, vice regents on earth, you know, mediating God's presence on earth, mediating God's rule on earth, everything put into proper order. And I see the procession going forward with Jesus Christ leading the way and then, and singing, you know, you're right. It's exactly that verse that says, and God saw everything he had made, and it was very, very good singing this great hymn and then in the name of the father son holy spirit and then it it is such a change right then where right away though remembering the fall that's quite amazing you know let us call to mind our sins yeah Yeah, and you call to mind your sins in the
0: biblical story and it's abrupt in the mass almost
2: and you confess your sins and then forgiveness is pronounced and then the story of the God, glory to God in the highest, the, the story of salvation. And I was thinking, you know, Matt said four minutes of the mass or whatever it is. What I was thinking was, you've only made it through Genesis 3.15. If the mass continued at that pace, I mean, imagine how long it would take just to get to Judges or Second Chronicles or Nehemiah or something like that. But anyway, no, I think that's a beautiful treatment. Thanks for that. Good. Yeah.
1: Uh, again, there's so much to, to to discuss there. Even the fact, like you know, that the Genesis story begins with "Let there be light," and was uh, as Ken and I talked in our mm-hmm. series on baptism. What's the ways that uh, one of the descriptions that people have mm-hmm. for baptism? It's being enlightened, right? Um, yes. There's just there's exactly. layers yes. and layers and layers here. There layers
2: are, and layers and layers. The Water key, covering. Guys, Go ahead.
0: <laughs> the the key uh, before I'm before good. Ken kind of takes us home though is especially for those who are watching. I I hope. What we've done here is, is connected these two things together. The, the Mm -hmm. scripture is telling us the story of God's action in the world with his people. And the mass comes up under that and mirrors it and walks through it in one hour. And we're going to unpack this as the weeks go on. But I just, I just want people to see this big idea that the mass is just very different Mm -hmm. from, especially for us from a Protestant worship gathering. It's telling the story of salvation. It is more than that. It is re-presenting it, remembering mm. it in a very real and concrete, and as you said, Ken, objective way. So I just pass okay. it back over to you. <laughs>
2: okay. What we're going to do in these episodes is we're going to try to read at the end of each episode some uh, something from an ancient source that kind of just mm. adds to our picture of what Uh, Christian worship was like in the early centuries of the church. Today, I'm going to read a short passage from a work uh, titled The Didache, or The Teaching. Um, The full title for this work is, here it is, pretty long, The Teaching of the Lord to the Gentiles Through the Twelve Apostles. Okay, we don't know who authored this work, but we do know that it's very, very early one of the earliest documents of Christian history. In fact, it might, it, it may even predate some of the writings of the New Testament. We don't know that for sure, but very early, according to Erdman's Bible Dictionary, I'm going to quote from it. The Didache is quote the oldest known of the so-called church orders. Church orders unquote, in which, among other elements, it was, and I'm quoting again, meant to provide a guide to the organization of the local local churches. The Didache then, is a it's giving us an outline of how to order the worship in the local churches. Okay, now this includes instructions on the elements of early Christian gatherings. Um, I want, I'm going to be reading sections from the Didache probably in other episodes as well. But today I just want to end by reading chapter 14 of the Didache. And uh, uh, here's the translation that I'm using. Assemble on the Lord's day. We heard that last week, too, about Sunday, the (laughs) Lord's Day. Assemble on the Lord's Day and break bread and offer the Eucharist, offer the Eucharist, but first make confession of your faults so that your sacrifice may be pure. Anyone who has a difference with his fellow is not to partake, is not to take part until he has been reconciled so as to avoid profaning your sacrifice. For this is the offering of which the Lord said, quoting, everywhere, and always bring me a sacrifice that is undefiled, for I am a great king, says the Lord, and my name is the wonder of nations, quoting from Malachi chapter 1, verses 11 and 14. And let, let me just reflect in closing. What, what, what stands out to me here is something we really haven't gotten to yet, because we, we've just gone through the introductory rites, but is this repeated use of the word sacrifice Something I'm sure, mm-hmm. Kenny, I'm sure, uh, Matt, I'm sure that th- this is not a word that you use to describe the worship service you were used to having. Yeah, I mean, we did the Lord's Supper, and we understood that in the Lord's Supper, we were remembering a sacrifice, the sacrifice of the new covenant, Christ's body and blood. But but I never would have described the Lord's Supper as a sacrifice that we are offering. And here in the Didache, the word occurs about three or four times, offer the Eucharist, you know, uh, make sure that you're reconciled with your brothers before you do, before you partake of this so that your sacrifice may be pure. And then quoting that passage from Malachi. So very different conception, um, but we'll be coming to that when we get to the Eucharistic uh, part of the mass.
1: Yeah. I was trying to think back if I ever heard the word sacrifice um, on a Sunday morning and I did, it was in a song. I think it might have been a Maranatha praise song. You know, we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. I don't know right. if you've heard that one. But that was just, right. as far as yeah. we were yeah. concerned, all that meant is that, you know, we're here to praise God. So sing louder. Can't hear right. you in the back. <laughs> there was no we concept certainly of didn't anything refer... like what we're hearing about in the Didache. And what we're going to continue to hear yeah. about, Kenny, as you move this forward. So, uh, Yeah,
2: you certainly didn't think of the Lord's Supper as a sacrifice. No way. That, that was being offered. I didn't no know way. what
1: it... I, I never got a good explanation for what we were, what we were doing there other than we knew we were supposed to do it. But, uh, luckily that's going to get covered in great depth in the next few episodes, uh, as we march forward. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I hope we've at least made it, uh, you know, worth your while to, to pay a little closer attention to the beginning of mass, uh, next time you go, or even if you go for the first time. Um, But before we head out, I want to remind people, uh, first of all, to check out these and other episodes at chnetwork.org. We also have an online community where you can plug in and connect with other people who are doing stuff just like uh, you are and thinking about things like you are. That's community.chnetwork.org. And uh, since it is the end of the year, um, this is a really important time for us because the Coming Home Network, well, we don't really have anything to sell. (laughs) So we rely on donations. And uh, this is the time of year when a lot of people are trying to think about, you know, 2023 coming on and what can i do uh to to support people so if uh you've been blessed by these episodes if you've been watching i would say if you've watched any more than five of them you have a moral obligation to be (laughs) financially contributing (laughs) to the success i don't know i don't know whatever the lord lays on your heart but (laughs) chnetwork.org slash donate um we would very much appreciate your help uh we are trying to um put some stuff out that uh well these thoughts were certainly helpful to us on our journey and we're hoping that they're helpful to others as well so again chnetwork.org slash donate ken hensley kenny burchard thank you again as always great to be with you guys thank you nathan Um, i'm matt swaim and we'll join you next time on (laughs) on the journey with matt and ken
2: bye-bye